Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you that you came from on high that we might know what love looks like. And I pray that even now, as we settle in to your word, would you, Holy Spirit, soften our hearts. Bring us fully present right now, surrendered, open, our hearts and our minds, eager to hear from you. And then, Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Would you bring encouragement, conviction, life, and hope? And all God's people said, amen. So, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I was on a team that went to Haiti for about 10 days a couple years ago. And I shared some of the drama, the adventures we had uh, leaving Des Moines. But here's the thing, the the drama did not end. Uh, As often is the case with missions trips, things do not go as they are planned. And while we were in uh, Pignon, the remote area where we were serving, Uh, there were a round of political uprising and unrest and protests that started to swell throughout the country. Uh, There were a lot of economic issues. There were um, concerns about corruption. And pretty soon, there were riots happening in the streets of Port-au-Prince and on the roads, uh, on all the major highways. Now, thankfully, Jean-Jean and Christy, our hosts who live there in the country, realized that what was happening and the situation that was developing. And so uh, they came to our leaders and said, you know what, we really think it would be good. We probably need to get you down into Port-au-Prince, where we were flying out of, proactively. So they hustled us around, and we hopped on a bus, and we got down into Port-au-Prince early so that we could get out the next day. And the plan was that we were going to leave for the airport about noon the next day. And it was a beautiful place. They arranged for us to stay. There was a pool. There was nothing to complain about. It was awesome. Until the next morning, about 7 o'clock, all of a sudden I hear a... (laughs) on our door, Um, which you don't expect when you're in the middle of Haiti. Um, And so I answered the door And sure enough, here is our host, where the place where we're staying. And he said, there was violence in the streets last night. John John has uh, radioed ahead. He wants you to get, wants your group to get to the airport as soon as possible to see if we can beat any unrest that might happen today. And so we scrambled around, rushed around, got our luggage together, hopped on a van, and drove through silent streets of Port-au-Prince. Now, that's unusual, and it was very eerie, and we were under police escort to get there, and I remember sitting in the back of the van thinking, I am not afraid. Why am I not afraid? Uh, Now, don't get me wrong. I wasn't taking a nap. I was praying as we went, but I was also just not as freaked out as I thought I would be. And in, upon reflection, I realized there were two reasons I think I was as calm as I was. Well, probably three, but um, I'm going to give you two. The first is that I knew Jean-Jean and Christy knew the country and were actively taking steps to make sure that we got to the airport safely. I knew that 
they knew what they were doing and we were in good hands. The second reason I was not afraid is because Virgil and Dorothy Dykstra were on the bus. Now, some of you are in the room who know our community are laughing because Virgil and Dorothy have been all around the world multiple times. They know what they're doing, and I was real clear, I don't think we could get into a scenario that Virgil and Dorothy have not navigated before. And so I knew that we were in the hands of experienced travelers. I was in the hands of experienced travelers. And so I could relax a little bit. I was not alone. See, here's the thing. If I had been alone in the middle of Haiti, I would have been terrified. I would have been a hot mess. But because I was not alone, because I was with a group of people who I knew were for me and were actively taking care of the situation, I could sit in the back row and not freak out. So this morning, as we think about peace, I wonder if that gets to the heart of why so often we don't experience peace. Because I think so often I buy into the lie that I am in this alone. I am in the work chaos alone. That I am in my family tension and drama alone. I wonder if some of you who are students are concerned because you're facing finals and it feels like you're in it all alone. And this morning, I wonder if God wants to remind us that in fact we are not on the bus alone. But in fact, there is a God who loves us deeply, who is near. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Philippians 4, if you would, verses 4 through 7. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. You can follow along on the screens, or if online, you can follow it at the bottom of the screen. Would you hear the word of the Lord? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Now, this is a passage that Amazon says is the most underlined in the Bible. And it's a passage that I think for a lot of us brings comfort and hope. But I also think it's important to recognize that for some of us, this this passage can bring some angst. Maybe because we haven't experienced this kind of peace. Maybe because it's been presented as a magic formula that if you just pray enough, you will never experience anxiety again. And I don't think it's that simple. So this morning, I want to look at this passage with maybe a fresh set of eyes and a little bit of nuance. And hopefully, it will give you some tangible invitations in a season that for most of us is fraught with anxiety. So that's my first comment, 
is that the word anxiety is a huge word that we use for all kinds of things. Can we acknowledge that? It's not dissimilar from the word love, right? It is so wide and so general that it's really not always helpful. So the first thing I want to acknowledge is that there are different kinds of anxiety. Now, by the way, if you want more information about this, uh, I happen to have a best friend who is a psychologist or a counselor who wrote a book called Managing Worry and Anxiety. It is fantastic. I am indebted to her for her nuance today. Because there are really three kinds of anxiety. The first is a healthy anxiety. It's an anxiety we were created to experience. It's the kind of anxiety that happens if I walk in the woods and a bear comes out, right? God designed you, designed me, that if that bear comes charging at me, everything in my body is going to turn on, and my fight or flight mechanism is going to come in, and I am going to run, and it is designed to move us to action in the face of actual danger. We were created with that. It is a gift. There is some anxiety that is healthy because it moves us to response, okay? It's the first kind of anxiety, healthy anxiety. The second type of anxiety is, I think, more accurately labeled worry. It can become a habit. It is what happens when we, the danger, the external danger is no longer present or maybe not as near, but we continue to ruminate over and over again, and we play out scenarios, and we imagine what ifs, and what could be, and what what might be, and what could go wrong, and what might go wrong. It becomes actually a habit. It's more internally driven than externally driven. And I think oftentimes we end up doing this because it makes us feel like we might be able to control something, right? If I can just anticipate the possibility. And so we end up in this habit where we're working over and over again a scenario or a situation. And that, well, that leaves our body in overdrive. It leaves our mind in overdrive. And it creates stress. It creates fatigue. It makes that we're, we don't make good decisions because we're not thinking clearly. That is worry, Okay. So we've got healthy anxiety, we've got worry, and then we've got one step past worry, which is unhealthy anxiety or an anxiety disorder, all right? Now that affects nearly 40 million adults in America. That's about roughly 20%. And that is actually when our body chemistry gets out of whack and can't get recentered. So that overdrive gets stuck. It's kind of like the thermostat in your house gets stuck and no longer can regulate the temperature in your house or in your car. And it gets stuck. And when you have that kind of anxiety disorder, you can pray all you want. It isn't going to change what happens inside. And to get unstuck often requires good medication good counseling. In the same way that if I have high blood pressure, I can control some of that with good eating and good habits, but some of it I might need medication for. Now, I think that's important to understand because I think a passage like this, at times, if you have a genuine anxiety disorder, can be uh, received in ways that feel very shaming. 
Like somehow, if I could just pray enough, it would be better. And let me just say, if that is you this morning, I want you to know that's not what Paul is talking about in this passage. I think what Paul is talking about in this passage is worry. Not healthy anxiety and not uh, an anxiety that comes with body chemistry. And if you are one of those people, let me encourage you, talk to a doctor, talk to a counselor, don't be ashamed, because that is not what Paul is talking about. All right? Can I get an amen in the house? All right, we understand. Okay, so Paul is really probably talking about worry, which all of us experience. And that's the second point I want to make, is that Paul does not pretend you will not get anxious, or that there will be circumstances that rightly should worry you. See, I used to think that if I prayed enough and followed God, there would be no circumstances that would worry me in them anymore. And then I lived life. Can I get an amen in the house? The trouble is, is that often I think we think if we worry, then there won't be reason to be anxious anymore. But Paul says it very clearly. He says, in every situation... Some of our situations will be great. Some of our situations are going to be terrible. The fact is we live in a world where cancer happens, where financial bankruptcy happens, where death happens, and that is not changed by prayer until the day comes when Jesus comes back and makes all things new and wipes every tear from our eyes, which, by the way, I can't wait for, in Until that day, there will be reasons to worry. And Paul says, that is a fact. And that, in some strange way, encourages me. Because it means I'm not getting it wrong. I love how Martin Luther said this years, uh, centuries ago. He said, you cannot stop birds from flying in the air. You can stop them from building a nest in your hair. So in other words... Anxiety and reasons to worry are going to be all around us. But what you can do is you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. And so let's turn now to what Paul encourages us to do. He says it really simply. He says, do not stay worried about anything, but choose instead to present your requests to God. In other words... Now, he makes a couple of comments about how to pray that I want to unpack for just a minute. The first he says is he says, in every situation, every situation. You know, every once in a while, I will ask somebody, how can I pray for you? And they say to me something that sounds very noble. They say, you know what? God has bigger problems to deal with than my little ones. There's world hunger, there's global pandemics, there's issues with justice. God really needs to focus on those things. Now, I would agree, God does need to focus on those things and does focus on those things. But here's the beauty. God is not like you and I with limited capacity. God actually cares about all of it. Let me take a poll in the room. How many of you are grandparents in the room? I've got some. Excellent. Okay, perfect. Now, grandparents, have you ever had a toddler 
come up to you, your grandchild, in like a park or something, and bring you the ooeyest, gooeyest, grossest thing for you to look at and marvel at? Yes, Anna's nodding, yes. And because you are the grandparent, you think it's awesome, right? It's not that you look at that child and you're like, bring me something valuable. Because your grandchild has brought it, it doesn't matter how small and gross it is, because it matters to them. And you love them. And so you welcome it, right? And that's God's heart. God's heart looks at you and says, I don't care how ooey and gooey it is. I don't care how little it is. If it matters to you, it matters to me. Because I delight in you. So imagine, for a minute, bringing God even the little things that worry you today. And recognizing that he doesn't think, gosh, that's dumb. He says, okay, because I love you, I care about that. Now, Paul goes on to even reinforce that further. He says, by prayer and petition. Did you notice that? Feels repetitive, doesn't it? By prayer and petition. Well, those are two words that are very related, but they're a little bit different. Prayer is general. It's generic. It's kind of the big picture word. So in other words, bring, Paul says, the big things that matter to you. But then he also says petition, which is, means the specific things. So Paul reinforces this idea. Now, I want to also imagine how many of you have ever watched someone you love struggle to do something that you're good at? Anybody ever had this experience before? Yeah, let me give you an example, if, it, if I might. Hypothetically speaking, we may or may not have had one of our children uh, who in junior high was not great at writing papers. Uh, some of you will remember that I majored in English in college. And so it was a particular special kind of terrible when I would look over the shoulder of said hypothetical child and read what was written there and realize, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm being honest. Um, and then I would say things like, would you like some, do you want me to look that over? Guess what the answer was always? No. To which I was like, please let me. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that's all helpful, right? But there's something sort of like, wait a minute. I am good at this. I want to help you. And you're doing this to me. Do you think God ever feels like that with us? Do you think ever once in a while God's like, you are killing yourself and I'm here and I'm good at this stuff and I would love to help if you would just ask. See, again, I think our picture of God is somehow that he doesn't want to help, but he longs to help. We see that over and over again in scripture. And so when you start feeling anxious, you could carry it yourself or you could turn and look at God and be like, uh, I could use some help. But that requires asking. That requires some humility, right? Because that's what my children were resisting, right? Swallowing their pride and asking for help. 
which is, I think, another reason why oftentimes we don't turn to God is because there's a part of us that says, I'll do it myself. I will do it myself. Now, the last uh, note that Paul makes about how to bring our concerns to God is he says, with thanksgiving. Did you notice that one too? Now, let's talk about that nuance for just a minute. Uh, Thankfully, as our children grew and got older, uh, they would actually ask for help with papers. In fact, my daughter, uh, when she was working on her grad school application, asked me if I would edit her personal narrative. But here's the beautiful part. Let me tell you how she asked me. She sent me a text, and she said, Mom, I know you're busy, and I know you have a lot going on, but you're really good at this. Would you mind looking at my paper? I appreciate it. Now, if a child sent you that text, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, hey, I'll clear my calendar right now. Right? Because it's done with such gratitude and such care, right, and respect, as opposed to, mom, get this done. Right? Now, I'm sure I have done that to my parents at times, right, with a sense of entitlement. Or, fine, help me, right? That kind of posture is what God longs for from us because that's what relationship looks like, right? It's when we bring our requests with a sense of both humility and gratitude. Now, when we do that, Paul says, here's the thing. God is going to solve every problem you have. Is that what the passage said? No. No, it didn't say, and then God will send you a million dollars. Or maybe God will answer every question you have. No. What the passage says is that if you will bring your concerns, if you will bring your worry What God grants us back is peace. A peace that surpasses understanding. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, when we read this passage, the NIV says transcends, but my great-grandfather taught me to memorize the, uh, my grandfather taught me to memorize the King James Version. So I always hear that passes or surpasses understanding. A peace that doesn't make sense in light of our circumstances. A peace that stands guard over our emotions and our mind. And do you know why that peace happens? Because we're not alone. Because we're reminded that someone who loves us deeply and cares about us is on the bus with us. Someone who does, is pretty good at this thing and wants to help and be near us. I love that right before Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, he's made a simple statement. Does anybody remember it from the passage we just read? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And that's, friends, what Advent is all about. The reminder that God did not stand apart from us and say, Fix it yourselves. That God did not say, you know what? You deserve what you're getting. 
God instead wrapped himself in humanity, became a child, vulnerable, and entered into the brokenness of our world with us. So that when we doubt and when we fear, all we have to do is remember. Remember that Jesus came, and we are now no longer alone. Now, here's the one minor detail with that. And as I talk about this, I'm going to invite our ushers to come back and begin to pass those cards back out. Because there are times I just can't pray for myself. I don't know what to pray. I'm tired of praying. I'm not even sure I believe in prayer. Yeah, pastor said that. But here's the thing. That's why we need each other. Because sometimes I can't pray, but you can. And sometimes you can't pray, but Andy can. Sometimes Sherry can't pray, but Pam can't. You know what? Jesus, at the most worrying, anxiety-producing moment in his life at the Garden of Gethsemane, he needed people to pray for him. Which means probably you and I need people to pray for us. We need, when we're standing in our fear and our worries. We need others who remind us, who are God with skin on for us. When we don't know if God's near, they can be near to us. So go ahead, ushers. I'm going to ask you to bring forward. So what we're going to do is you're going to get somebody else's prayer request. I want you to think this week about this idea of a whole circle of people standing together in prayer for each other. And when you get worried, think about the fact that somebody else is praying for you. That you are not alone on the bus. Now, those of you who are online, you're not going to get your prayer request until tomorrow morning. So I want you to pick one person right now that you know needs prayer. And as you're receiving these prayer requests, or as God's bringing somebody to mind, I want to close by actually lifting them in prayer right now. And so the cards are being passed out. I would encourage you to read them even as you're getting them and begin to enter into a posture of prayer, praying for the person who wrote your card right now. God, I pray even in this moment as we begin to read and carry each other's burdens that you would be at work. Holy Spirit, that you would be reminding us that you are not distant and far away, but that you so loved us that you sent your only Son that we might know peace, that we might experience more life. God, I pray that even in this moment, we would sense your presence moving among us. And if we can't sense it, that we would stand on the reality that the people around us are lifting us up, online and in the room. Hear our prayers, O God.